You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Everyone who ever lived here falls victim to some tragedy. Like her daughter a year ago. My daughter was my whole life. To hear her voice again, I would give all I have. If someone wants to be heard, We are here. Admit that you are up against something bigger than you. Tonight, we are all afraid. We cannot hide from our ghosts. Whether they are real or not. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode. We got another movie review, folks. That is right. We are back, and we are going to be looking at A Haunting in Venice, another Hercule Poirot mystery, which totally took us all by surprise, because I thought after Death in the Nile, I thought he was done with these. (laughs) And I'm actually excited to talk about this one. It, you know, was very interesting. It was almost poised as a horror movie when I first saw the trailer for it and then Perot shows up and it's like, Oh, this is definitely not a, <laughs> this is a total murder mystery instead of a haunting and a horror movie. Cause that's what they've started portraying it as. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And I love period pieces anyway. So this is really, really awesome. And we've got a great crew to talk all about this. Of course, Mr. Mike Gordon is here. Howdy. And we are joined, of course, by our movie reviewer, Ashley Pauls. Hello. And joining us for the very first time, welcome, Kelly Sicato. How are you doing? I am wonderful. My husband and I saw this film this past Friday night, and I have some interesting and potentially controversial opinions about it. Uh Uh-oh. All right, folks. This is who we're going to throw tomatoes at. Just remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, you know, this is what we're going to be interested to see. And we definitely are going to spoil the heck out of this one. Oh, yeah. Be prepared because we're going to talk all about it. Before we get started, though, Kelly, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. 
Okay, well, I am a classic film fan. Um, my favorite types of movies are movies from the 30s up through the end of World War II. Although I do like a few things from the 60s and thir from the 60s and 70s. The, the 30s and the 40s are kind of where my heart is, especially when it comes to horror. Love okay. classic horror. So you like the old monster movies and such? Or? I love the old monster movies. I, I, I love Frankenstein, Dracula, The Invisible Man, Claude Rains, um, Boris Karloff and Vincent Price do not get enough recognition for being awesome actors. Sure. Um, and um, let's see. I love animation, um, both old school and also new, both old school and new school. And um, I'm also a writer and performer with the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. Nice. I'm a fan of fantasy fiction and fantasy film and television. And I'm looking forward to talking about this movie. That is awesome. We're very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say, especially when you brought up the word controversy. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay. So well, it's very it's, interesting to see what we have to say about it and everything. Oh, well, it's not a mean opinion. Okay. <laughs> just, okay. just, just so everybody would know that this is, okay. You've this been is not going to, nothing's going to be nasty or unkind. Well, well. We'll have to wait and see because, you know, other people also have some opinions on this, too. So. <laughs> so let's get started. Mr. Mike, ready to take this away? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, we can definitely say the countdown to Halloween has started a little early this year because we are going to haunting. We uh, like to start off with a box office review. And unfortunately, the box office numbers are not great. Uh, as a matter of fact, this past weekend was the worst of the year. Well, second worst. The worst of the year was actually during Super Bowl weekend. Uh, this was actually the worst uh, turnout uh, for the movie theater this year, apart mm -hmm. from Super Bowl weekend. And Haunting in Venice uh, came up second. It grossed $14.5 million. Uh, it was behind The Nun 2, which opened last weekend. So I guess a lot of people who are going to the theater are wanting something spooky as well, trying to get started on the October season. Uh, but this one actually did better than Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile, when it opened a couple years ago, was only opened, I think, at the uh, the box office on that one was 12.9 million opening weekend. So, and it was first. <laughs> it actually got the top spot that weekend with that. So, um, as bad as things seemed to be, I don't think they were as bad, but we were just coming off the pandemic and, and everything like that. So, that there's a lot of factors in play here. As we've talked about with all the box office numbers this year, things are just different now. Uh, there is a new normal, which we're still getting used to. Um, it, for anybody who's wondering, Murder on the Orient Express, the first one of these movies, uh, actually uh, did quite well, comparatively speaking. It did $28.7 million, uh, but at that time... It was only third at the box office. It was behind uh, Thor Ragnarok, which was still running, and Daddy's Home too. So, very, very interesting. I guess in the scheme of things, it you know it came up second as far as these uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Agatha Christie mo movies go. Um, but uh, you know, I think people are kind of disappointed. People are kind of looking at um, this as being a disappointment in some ways. Uh, what do you think, Ashley? Was this a, a box office wise? Any any thoughts there? 
Yeah, I wasn't necessarily expecting this to do huge numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this is one where uh, people will go to see it kind of spread out throughout the next, the coming weeks and maybe even on streaming. Um, I'm curious kind of what inspired the third sequel because I wasn't aware that the second one did amazing at the box office. I'm guessing maybe it was a big driver on (laughs) streaming. Yeah, so I was really kind of surprised we got another one, but maybe it did really well on streaming, or um, maybe Kenneth Branagh just really enjoys doing these and says, I would like to do another one, and the studio said, sure, why not? So, yeah, I was not really expecting this one to light the box office on fire, so I'm I'm not necessarily surprised by how it did. Yeah, especially since this one seems to, out of all the others, seems to have a more limited cast, let's say. Yes. Uh, it doesn't, there's no, there's no big, huge names in this. You have an Academy Award winner as, you know, somebody in this. I love Michelle Yeoh. Let's put it yeah. that, you know, I'm not, I'm, yeah, let's not beat about the bush. I love Michelle Yeoh and, and she's amazing. She's not box office gold. Like she's not box, she's not Gal Gadot, right? Like, so, um, uh, and, and that one, you know, the last one, Death in the Nile had Gal Gadot and, and a lot of other names. Now it had a, a name that had actually a bad reputation at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some so, unfortunate, yeah, publicity. So, so, so this one didn't have that uh, baggage attached to it as well. But, um, I don't know if you, Kelly, if you follow the box office or anything, or if you have any thoughts about why this, uh, how this did in the box office and what your thoughts about that are. Um, I expect possibly because of um, name recognition, because Murder on the Orient Express is a is a title people are familiar with. Yes. People hear Murder on the Orient Express, they know it, and particularly if anybody's um, read the novel or seen the um, Albert Finney film, um, they would have gone interested to see Kenneth Branagh's take on it. And also with a certain comfort level that comes with that familiarity. They, you know, if you go in, because I did know the twist going in. And yes, yes, so yes. Um, I, yeah, I was familiar. I was, I just, I knew it sort of like watching the Columbo episode. You know who did it. The whole <laughs> fun is just watching it all unravel, watching it all unspool, right. not unravel. And that's, that's, that's only if Brenna stays true to the original, right? Like, like with this one, you're right. This one, like Death in the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express are familiar to people because they've been done before. This is the first time that this particular story has been done and it's not even, they changed the title of it, right? Like the title was originally, the book is Halloween Party, right? Um, and that was only done once before, I think, with David Sachet when he was doing Poirot. Uh, so this is completely new territory for everybody. Um, and even if you know that story, we'll talk about this a little bit later in detail, I'm sure. But even if you know that story, you don't know this movie because they don't. This is not Halloween Party much at all. So if you're looking for a faithful adaptation, this thing fails on that level. Now, that's not they, to say it fails they, as a film. They, but they did change Death on the Nile quite a not bit. Not this so. much. No, not as not, much. This <laughs> not not no. this much. No. The changes that they made to Death on the Nile, we did talk about, and they made it more about Poirot than they did, I think, about the murder. And that was my big beef with that film. So um, anyway, Mike, thoughts on the box office before we box move office, on to the actual movie? Yeah, no, it's late September. 
it is, you know, after the summer season, it's before Oscar season, it's before Halloween season. And, you know, most movies that are released in this are pretty much almost like leftovers, seeing what sticks and anything. And 14 million for a September release is not terrible. That's not a horror movie. It's a murder mystery. And, you know, but they portrayed it in the trailer as a, a horror movie, you know, like a, you know, ghost haunting type thing. And, you know, it, the first trailer we saw, we didn't even see uh, Perot until almost halfway through the trailer yeah. and yeah. everything. And so I think, you know, that's what originally they were going for. And then it's like, oh, Perot, you know, it's like budding, you know, ta-da type thing. And it did, it, I think this will play bigger in Europe. It'll be bigger in Asia than it is in the U.S. And I also think because of word of mouth, because most people who've seen this have overall positive comments on this. And it's in the 70s on Rotten Tomatoes, not that I ever go by that. It'll get word of mouth that when it streams, I think it'll probably be HBO or, sorry, Max that it'll go on and it'll probably mm, it's disney it's fox so it'll be go it'll go into hulu it will go to hulu yeah it should go to hulu because it's it's a fox movie so or 20th century studios which is owned by disney so technically it's a disney movie so and, and i think if they're smart they'll release it to streaming i would release it in streaming in october um yeah. because why not like go with that haunting vibe you know people are mm -hmm. looking for spooky content um if they're smart since it didn't do bangers at the box office i would release it right on hulu like you know next month and take advantage of that and see if you can get a little, little bump from that mm -hmm. but it was interesting and you know i i definitely will watch this again i because i want to see what else i've missed because there was a lot to this one yeah yeah all right so let's get into it since there yeah <laughs> a lot to this one so let's talk about it um Kelly, we're going to start with you since you're the newbie to our, our reviews. Um, talk about what you expected going into this and overall, uh, real quick, how, what your feelings were coming out. Were you satisfied? I expected it to, to because it was the third of the series and I had read some reviews and I was expecting, and I got, and this was one of the things I really liked about the film, had atmosphere to burn, and that wonderful sense of autumn melancholy. This is an autumn movie. It just, it feels like golden and green, golden and red leaves almost. And, you know, even the Venetian setting has that kind of autumnal quality. You know, it's, it's not carnival. You know, it's, you know, it's Halloween. <laughs> so, obviously, so obviously you get this very autumn feel, which autumn being my favorite season definitely appeals to me. So I had good vibes going in. And I had good vibes coming out. I I did like the film. I think I probably liked it just a little bit more than Matt did, but he liked it also. We had a similar 
issue with it, I'll go ahead and get the controversy out of the way. <laughs> because because I, I don't know how many, many people are going to share this view. I loved the character of Ariadne Oliver, but I thought Tina Fey was miscast. And the reason I felt she was miscast is because, well, this is something that's true, unfortunately, of a lot of American actors. And of course, I appreciated that Ariadne Oliver was an American, so they had to get an American actress, but American actors and actresses don't often do well in period settings. There's there's just something so contemporary about Tina Fey in this movie that felt, at least from me, a little bit at odds with the whole autumnal late forty you know, late forties period setting. It was the it was the one thing that didn't quite vibe. But did this miscasting, in my opinion, ruin the movie for me? No, it did not. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of other really good performances. I especially liked um, Jamie Dornan's performance. And we're talking spoilers here, right? Yes. I hated what happened to him. That actually made me angry. Mm-hmm. And I don't often get angry watching a Poirot murder mystery because oftentimes on some level the people who end up dying have it coming. I suppose I <laughs> should have um suppose I should have expected, you know, they they did that switcheroo with Death on the Nile and I you know I'd seen the Peter Ustinov film so I knew how that was supposed to go. And then they switched it up I think to make to to make it more emotionally moving. Whereas you you didn't have that same kind of thing. I mean, I think that was the goal. I think that was the aim to give, to up the emotional stakes. I'm not, I I don't think that in that film, it didn't quite work. In this film, I think it does. Mm -hmm. There are emotional stakes throughout this movie and there should be. And so, um, Really liked Jamie Dornan's performance. I thought Michelle Yeoh was amazing. Um, I liked. Uh, I've got. I've. I've got um, IMDb open on my iPad <laughs> in my lap here to make sure I'm getting everybody's name right. Um, Jude Hill. That's his name. Who played? Who played the little boy? Because the first time I saw him, I was expecting that I would loathe that character, and. It would have been so easy for the film to go in that direction, and it didn't, which I thought was really awesome that it didn't that it didn't go there. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that I noticed about several characters. You start out thinking, "Oh God, these are horrible. These are going to be horrible people," and then it turns out. You get to okay, know them. there you know, because 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 Miss Super Catholic Religious Woman. Yes, I I need to find her actual Olga Olga Camille Cotin. Yes, um, you know, hearing her talk about satanic and Satanism and suffer not a witch to live, you know, all that kind of stuff that you'd expect to hear at the Salem witch trials. You're expecting this character to be just 100% repulsive. I did not like her at first at 
all. And then by the end, she's much more sympathetic. I just, this has some really layered characters and I appreciate that. And absolutely. Now I'll let someone else have a turn. No, 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 absolutely. And, and we'll get to some of the other characters too. I mean, you gave us a good uh, rundown of most of them, but uh, Ashley, what about you? What were your thoughts going in? I can't remember if you, uh, you were probably the most positive about death on the Nile than any of us, probably. If I, I think so. Yes. I have in general, just really enjoyed these um, Hercule Poirot movies. I am what I would call a new Agatha Christie fan. Um, I am not super familiar with her work, but I'm at the point now, whenever I see an adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel, I have to watch it just because I think it's so amazing that these stories that were written many years ago are still compelling are um, they still managed to get me just about every time I'm terrible solving the mystery. So, and somehow I've managed to remain unspoiled by all three of these stories. So I went in not knowing anything about the mystery or what would happen. So I think um, that was kind of fun. I'm a big fan of uh, Kenneth Branagh in general. So I was really looking forward to this one. I did have to laugh when I first saw the trailer for this movie in theaters. I was like, oh man, too scary. There's no way I'm going to see this. Then up pops Hercule Pro with his mustache. <laughs> and I'm like, darn it, I'm in. So <laughs> I would be happy if he just continued making one of these every couple years or so. And um, I think it's just a great testament to the power of timeless stories. Like, I mean, a good story is going to be a good story 20 years ago, 20 years from now. And um, these stories are still relevant and has things for us to reflect on as a modern audience. And overall, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought they did a good job bringing in some more elements of horror, but not going overboard or pushing believability. Everything was neatly explained by the end. Although I do like they leave just a little tiny door open. If you want to think that, you know, maybe, maybe there was a little touch of haunting in, in the house. Maybe, maybe not, you know, you can explain it away or maybe it was there. So I like that they kind of left that open just a tad, especially with little teacups sitting over the table at the end. Again, maybe it was nothing. Maybe there was something, but. Yeah, like you said, Kelly, the setting was amazing, loved how it felt like Halloween, autumn was spooky without being overdone. A lot of really interesting characters, especially ones who go in different directions than you think they will. Um, Michelle Yeoh was wonderful, as always. I My only complaint about her character is that she died too soon, but on the other hand, like, that character was made for her. She was so good as that character. So I wouldn't have wanted to see her as anybody else. It's just such a shame. It's like, oh man, couldn't she have been like number two to die or something? Like, I just wish she was around a little bit more, but um, they do a great job with her character. Again, keeping you guessing, like, is there is something to this? Like, I think she's a fake, but she's really good. And then with her assistance, just as um, Everything is revealed little by little. And um, something else was interesting. I was talking with my dad about he went to see the movie with me was how this was it felt nice to see a shorter movie like it felt well contained like there was enough character development, enough plot, but it wasn't stretched on too long. It was just a nice movie we got in we got out and not that I don't love the big epic like superhero and sci fi movies, but sometimes it's nice to just have a shorter movie that can tell its story, 
make an impact on you and then credits roll. So overall, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I kind of maybe feel similar about uh, Tina Fey that she just maybe because she's so famous as um, a comedian in her other capacities that when I see her, I'm like, oh, it's Tina Fey in a movie versus some of the other characters more blend into who they're playing. But um, so, yeah, it would have been interesting maybe if someone else had been cast in that role, how that would go. But overall, really, really enjoyed this one. And I will definitely plan to watch it again on streaming. Mike, what about you? That's a good question because I agree with both the ladies because I like Tina Fey as an actress. I love what she does. But whenever you see her, it's, oh, it's Tina Fey. Yep. You know, we're running into that now with only murders in the building. And because she, whenever you see her in that show, it's like, oh, it's Tina Fey. 30 Rock. Oh, it's Tina yep. Fey. She's you just know. too iconic for her own good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's the only actor that actually took me out of this and i loved it the cinematography in this film was amazing from you know and they tried to go for the horror feel for the mystery for the spookiness and they made that house spooky as hell and i loved it i thought that was awesome i loved the backstory that it was a plague house and they an orphanage and they locked the kids in there when the plague started spreading and it's supposed to be haunted. And the story with that was just so rich and it was believable that, you know, that the place was cursed and then the murders started happening. And I loved, you know, how it was not quite murder on the Orient Express where Everyone did it, basically. But you had a lot of people that were guilty of trying to up the feel and everything. And I liked that part. I thought it was really, really well done. Um, I will watch Kenneth play Hercule anytime, anywhere. If this is his last, you know, role and he plays it for the next 20 years... I will watch him. I will watch every single one of them because he is so fripping good in that role. And the mustache is equally as good in that role. <laughs> More mustache. The people More mustache people have spoken. <laughs> mustache is the co-star of the movie, you know. So as, as we said for the last two roles that he's done. Who who do we love in it? We love Ken and Bradlin, and we also love the mustache, you know. It's pretty damn amazing. And that's part of the fun with these movies. And I loved how he was a typical, he was typical Perot right from the middle of the seance with the typewriter and him figuring out that there was someone hiding up the, you know, fireplace and everything. And I, I'm one of those people who figure these things out in my head and I kind of figured out why he got knocked on the head. I figured out why, you know, how he was seeing things and everything fairly quickly. But them getting to it was a ton of fun. It was. And that kid was, I thought the kid was the mastermind behind everything. For a yeah, bit. for a while. I did too. Yeah. And it was like, oh, he's the one all behind this. Because he was so, he, he was scary how, you know, cold yeah. and collective he was. 
he was not a kid. <laughs> it's like, he's not a real kid. He's a midget. He has to be, you know, or something. Oh, sorry. Uh, Little when, person. I shouldn't say when that. Parents, um, when parents need taken care of, you know, when you have when you have a parent who has, in this case, PTSD and possibly some substance abuse issues as well, um, then oftentimes what happened and one flaw that stuck out for me a little bit was there's no mention at all of that child's mother, as far as I'm aware. No, not, they did not once mention the mother. And so, so obviously, you know, obviously she's dead. She, she's dead. Either she's dead or she left. She's mm-hmm. out of the picture. So the boy has to step up and, in a sense, take care of his father. And you have the father even telling him, I should be, take, I should be looking after you. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a boy who has to step into an adult role mm-hmm. before he before he is supposed to. So, for the, so it didn't surprise me at all. But yeah, no, he grew up completely way too quick. He didn't even want to hang out with the other kids, the other orphans, mm-hmm. you know, to play the games, hear the stories, and everything and it was it was real interesting and he didn't want to celebrate in halloween all he wanted to do was be in his book and be ready to help his dad whenever needed yeah he's lost his childhood Mm -hmm. exactly 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 but yeah i loved all the characterizations from the bodyguard to the two hungarian refugees to you know to the ex-jilted fiance you know you know there was so many you know good roles and the nanny or the housekeeper was awesome you know so and then michelle yo yeah she's awesome in everything you know yeah and she definitely she definitely makes her she makes her exit way too soon uh and went out with a splash that's for sure (laughs) oh too soon (laughs) (laughs) the uh um, I, yeah, I didn't think much of Death in the Nile. I thought that, uh, Brenna was taking way too many liberties with the, the main character, making it more about him than the actual mystery. And, and I thought that movie suffered tremendously for it. I did like his adaptation of, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. It's probably my third favorite version of that movie, uh, of that plot, but, um, still, it's still pretty good. And, and, and this one was a, you know, I was like, like you, Mike, I was surprised that they were greenlit to do another one. Uh, but I guess, you know, Kenneth put on his, his salesman uh, suit and said, I, I can do another one. I can do it for only $60 million and uh, I can make it a horror movie. How about that? You know, like, and, and that's probably what sold Fox at the time uh, on this. And, uh, and for the most part, he, he delivers. I mean, he, yes, it's a, it, it's not a star studded cast um by any means like the other two but i mean i think that makes it feel it's more it's a lot more enclosed um and it it doesn't feel as open um it's very atmospheric credit to brana and and the core and the cinematographer for some beautiful shots of venice uh i mean even that final shot of uh where on the on the on the roof talking to his new client and it just sort of spins and spins and spins and you see more and more and more of the city and 
And part of me's thinking, wow, they had to really do use some CG to get rid of all the modern stuff about it, you know, but still, um, I, I was just fascinated. I'm like, I could watch this shot like all day. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> just gorgeous. Like, um, uh, and, and so much, it's just dripping with atmosphere, uh, just dripping with Halloween atmosphere, especially since it takes place like in the, in the forties, just after the world war or whatever. And, and it's just like, you know, those, the, the kids costumes, the bobbing for apples, like everything just feels like you can just feel it. You can, uh, the, the, the walls are kind of dripping, uh, mm-hmm. with, with atmosphere as well. The seance is, is filmed beautifully. Uh, it's creepy. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and of course, you know, the acting. And I think, I think that's been one of the biggest knocks I've seen against this movie. Well, I've seen some other knocks about the writing, um, and, 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 the, and the slow pacing, but, um, uh, I, I attribute that to just people who are more modern and, and have just, they don't have like classic sensibility. Uh, cause if you're used to watching these kind of movies, they kind of just move at this kind of pace. Um, uh, you're not looking, I mean, this is not an actioner. This is not a, you know, scare, jump scare behind every corner. Although there's a couple of jump scares in yeah. here. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I did see some criticism uh, about the acting, especially I did see some regarding Tina Fey. I actually like her performance in this. Uh, I'm going to say it. I think her and, and, uh, Pearl make a kind of a good team. Like I, I kind of like that, um, uh, out of all the sort of, you know, sort of seconds he's had in these movies, I kind of felt like she was kind of more lively and challenging him. Um, and I was really you know, of course, knowing the character from, you know, the other, the other adaptations and everything, I was really surprised when it turns out that she's, she's, you know, kind of against him, like she's working against him. Um, I kind of wish Michelle Yeoh's character was around longer so that we could see the results of that, like from her. Um, uh, but, um, Jamie Dornan is great too. He's always puts in a good performance here. He's almost understated like for ever for as out there as tina fey is jamie dornan is like internalizing everything and it's just kind of like it's just a weird contrast uh camille cotton i'm not used to seeing her i don't think i've seen her in anything before but she impressed the heck out of me in this uh kelly riley always puts in a great performance and she's awesome in this as well and it's yeah i mean it, it kind of uh it's it's a it's a surprise but it's not a surprise that she's the she's the she's the villain of the piece right so um so i think it it works on a lot of levels as i said before it is not a faithful adaptation of halloween party by any means mm-hmm. so i in fact i rewatched the david sachet version of halloween party um uh, just this weekend as well just to refresh my memory and it is solid as well. I recommend anybody can check that check that out because it is a interesting contrast to this, and it is actually done pretty well as well. I'm not saying one is better or worse, uh, but um, that's I, I would say look at both of them because they're both really kind of cool, uh, cool mysteries and really well done and very atmospheric for Halloween. I think both of them work for Halloween. I I, I at some point I'll probably read the original novel as well, but. Um, 
But yeah, because I understand there's some differences there too. But this is not a very faithful adaptation, which is fine. I mean, Kenneth, you know, they changed the name, they changed the location, they changed a lot of characters around. So they, this is really, I'm looking at this as being his own, his own mystery rather than adapting faithfully a Christie one. And I think it still works in fan. In fact, I think it might be the best of the three. I think so too. I actually enjoyed this one more than I liked Death on the Nile. And I'll put it just on just above actually um, Murder on the Orient Express for these versions. And it could be because this one for us is original. We don't know what's going to happen. Whereas the others we're familiar with, you know, so we knew kind of, you know, we're watching it with a, as you said, Kelly, a comfort level because we know how it's going to play out. Whereas this one, it's like, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> there's also a different emotional tilt i think because yes. you contrast this with murder on the orient express everybody hated that guy and with perfect and with and with really good reason yeah because it's johnny Depp, right no just kidding. Yeah, it's very satisfying to see him make that decision that hey you know um I'm gonna you 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 walk free with this when you've got an initial victim the the young girl and this is someone whom nobody hated yeah no one hated this girl even the person who killed her didn't hate her good call and so no one actually had a motive to to destroy this young woman and so you're going into this with a sense of tragedy which is something we really don't see in the other films now i did find it interesting um comparing the comparing um brana's version of death on the nile to um to the peter ustinov film Mm. which was that in the peter ustinov film lois childs who's the main murder victim is a total brat and you're not sorry to see her go whereas in Brana's film although her situation within the story is the same Brana I think directs Gal Gadot to play that role to the point where you actually sympathize with her a little bit mm-hmm. and um you know this the sad thing is um she senses this enmity from everybody around her except the person who is going to destroy her yeah and um and so there there's a little bit more i think of an empathy going on with death on the nile it didn't really quite work because it was at odds with the original story yeah with this one it worked beautifully and you know the and the fact that you have another victim um dr ferrier who just so didn't have it coming when he you know again his death made me angry it's like how how dare you there is no good reason no good reason why anyone would wish this man dead and then as it turns out, you know, again, it, it was it was because of it. It's it sad. Everyone's innocent and yet everyone's guilty because you have, <laughs> as it turns out, it was the boy doing the blackmailing. And 
then you had both Michelle Yeoh's character and Jamie Dornan's character murdered for things that they totally didn't do. No, not that's and true. That's true. It gives you know it, it makes it makes this just um again emo- the emotional stakes are higher. You give a damn. Yeah, absolutely. There's not this kind of clinical detachment that you have when you're watching some murder mysteries. Yeah. And like I said, I think um, it's interesting, too. I like the fact that Brenna, I really appreciate, especially after Death in the Nile, that that Brenna pulled it back a little bit. So Poirot still got, in addition to a mystery to solve, he still got stakes in this because he's challenged as to whether or not he's really seeing supernatural Mm -hmm. events or he's trying to find logical explanations for them. And that's a challenge to him. And I did appreciate that. Now, there is also a sense that he is retired because he is uh, depressed about any and over somebody's death. And we don't quite know the details on that, which is a little frustrating. But then again, I, I don't need to see it because i don't want to see more about him i want to see more about like what's going on with the characters and everything like that so it's possible we might get that but we'll see what makes it interesting is this story takes place 10 years almost after death of the nile Mm. so which is nice because you get a more weary perot and it's interesting because he is you know he last time we saw him he shaved off the mustache, and, you know, yeah. and went off, you know, is... with jazz singer. And you I, know, I don't the... mind if he goes off with a woman, but shaving up that mustache. I mean, I like the that fact that the mustache here was a little, little was a little more subtle too. I mean, yes. it's not quite as extravagant as the other two movies. Mm-mm. Which was interesting because, like in the first one, you saw he wore like a sock or something over it at night <laughs> <laughs> to keep it warm, you know. So. Because, you know, mustaches have, you know, feelings too. So, you know. But it's interesting. And that was one of the things I loved about this because he was more cautious. He was more like, oh, I don't want to do this. I really don't. He was hiding from the world, literally, in his, you know, in his house in Venice. And he, you know, he went out and he was, you know, people were trying to get him to work for him. And, you know, to, you know, do work for them and everything, cases and everything. And I loved how they were showing that people were chasing after him and the bodyguard kept on throwing him into the uh, canals and everything, which was yeah. awesome. Yeah, the same, that same bridge and same canal that we just saw in Mission Impossible. <laughs> Dangerous place, folks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Uh, I'm not, yeah, if I ever go to Venice, I'm going to watch out for that bridge because it's, it, it doesn't go well. It has a slippery spot right there. So. <laughs> it's a killer. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ashley, what about you? Were there any performances or anything else about the movie that, uh, that, uh, uh, of note for you? Yeah. Um, I agree with what everybody else has been saying. I liked all the layers to the characters. Someone we haven't really talked about too much yet is the ex-fiance, I was pretty sure it's like, man, this guy seems real rotten. Like he comes in, he's got an attitude. It's like, he's guilty of something. I don't know if he's guilty of the murder, but he's guilty of something. And then I loved how they were able to turn that around. Like he did make some mistakes, but he had regrets and he came because he was wanting to kind of atone for his past. Some, So I liked that he wasn't just like a spoiled like guy that was just chasing money. Like they added some more interest to his character. And um, 
having Puro take the honey that was poisoned, I like how him seeing the supernatural stuff kind of unsettled him because Puro is always like super confident, cool and collected. Like he knows logic. He knows um, how to solve these cases, but he's beginning, he's downing his own mind, which is his, um, his weapon and basically of self-defense and his tool that he uses to solve these mysteries. So when he's starting to doubt himself, especially as he's seen these things, but he can tell that nobody else around him is. And he so seems thought, like he's running to the bathroom every like five minutes. In the movie. Right. Yeah. Which if you think about that, like if that would um, disconcert me. So yeah, I thought it made him um, definitely some real moments of vulnerability and humanity, seeing him um, kind of second guess himself there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kelly, what about you? Anything, any sort of final notes on the movie? Well, um, I was disappointed a little bit that the puppet guy wasn't a main character. The puppet guy. The puppet was, guy. The puppet show was gorgeous. Oh, was yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I, I, I wanted to see more of the puppet guy. Yeah. And that that I I find shadow puppets fascinating, you yes. know, the whole Lottie Reniger, um, the adventures of Prince Ahmed, you know, all, all that kind of thing. And the way that was photographed. So, so I mean, the way that they showed the, the screen that the kids were watching and then how they were working everything behind the curtain um, switching back and forth between reality and illusion. And then the guy with that, with that narration and his voice being, oh, his voice I, awesome. I love, I love distinctive voices. That's actually one thing I miss about classic cinema. I don't think modern cinema has as many of those. Mm. I wish, I wish there were more of those voices. Like I think Willem Dafoe has one of those. Oh, sure. Um, mm, where yeah. I, if if I, I, I recognize his voice and yet it's not like distracting or taking you out of the movie like it's Tina Fey. Um maybe Octavia <laughs> Spencer should have played um should have played Ariane Oliver. She would have made an awesome mm, that um, I, I could have seen that. Yeah, that Octavia Spencer or Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, for, one yeah. Thing, for one thing, I both of those actresses are comfortable with pe- with period with period settings. Yeah. Um and I, th- I think it would have been neat, you know, particularly after we saw um, Selene Otterborn cast as a woman of color, you know, Sophie Okonedo. That was a, that was also something I wish had been different about Death on the Nile. It's like, you've got Sophie Okonedo. Give her more to do. Mm. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, she's she's awesome when he gives her an opportunity to be front and center. But it's like, do more, you know, do more with her. I think that was a case of cast bloat where you just had so many people and you wanted to know more about so many of these people and there just wasn't enough time. So there was a sense of dissatisfaction that I certainly didn't feel with, with this one, but anyway, back to, back to what I said, I would like to have seen more of the puppet guy and (laughs) I would like to have seen Octavia Spencer or Viola Davis playing Ariadne Oliver. Nice choices, nice choices. I would not argue with that at all. Uh, and I and I like Tina Fey. So in this movie, so um, 
And I'm ashamed. I, I'm afraid that I was actually thinking halfway through the movie, I was like going, "Wow, I I, I could see them teaming up in another pro movie, like movie going forward." But of course, that's not going to happen because of <laughs> unless they do a unless they do a prequel to this or whatever. And I I don't know. Anyway, um, so uh, Ashley, we'll start with you. Um, final thoughts? Do you recommend the movie? And do you want to see more? Yes, I yes on all counts. Um, I really enjoyed going to see the movie. Um, it was a great way to kick off the fall movie season for me, and also kind of um, get into Halloween season. Although I've already had my Halloween decorations up, like September first, it's instantly um, Halloween season in my mind. So, <laughs> but it was a nice. It was like a it was a cozy mystery, and I would definitely watch this again. Um, I did get a chance to see it in IMAX. Which um, this is not necessarily the type of film you have to see in IMAX, but gosh, it it's sure looks good in IMAX. Yeah, so I, I was, bet it looked great. I did not regret that decision, and I would love to see more of this um, Hercule Poirot, just um, bringing forward some more of the mysteries, maybe even some ones that are less done. Like there are Agatha Christie mysteries that are really popular that have been done a lot. I would maybe some deeper cuts, or even yeah, like. Um, do some original stories kind of inspired by some of her works that are still faithful and honor and pay tribute to um, the contributions she made to the mystery genre. But yeah, I think there's room to kind of explore and do some original things with the character too. So hopefully there's more to come. Yeah, absolutely. I saw my, I saw the, in the Dolby theater that I usually go to and it sounded great too. The, the yes. music and the sound effect, everything just worked on that level too, on this one too. Uh, Kelly, real quick, um, do you recommend it and do you want to see more? And is there a specific Agatha Christie or Pro thing you want to see tackled next? I do recommend it. It's, you know, there, there's, there are in in terms of balancing virtues versus flaws. Um, I think the virtues far outweigh the flaws, and I think people who, what was it? Those who like this sort of thing will find this the sort of thing they like. <laughs> nice um, <one. laughs> and and so if you you know if if you like a slow burn murder mystery with a lot of atmosphere and you don't expect people to be punching each other or shooting each other or some pyrotechnic going off here or there. You know, this is a movie for grownups. It's about grownups and it, and despite the kid, you know, of course you got the kid, but it is a grown up movie. It's a mature movie which sadly I think may be one of the reasons why it ended up number two at the box office behind the nun two. Probably, probably. And probably. yet, and yet I can't help but think this, you know, this the grown-up movie will find the grown-up audience. Because let's face it, grown-ups are underserved. Grown-ups are particularly underserved by mainstream movie releases. Grown-ups have to go to the art houses. <laughs> but I mean, of course, you you did have Oppenheimer, you know, you had you you did have a couple of more grown-up movies. I actually thought that Are You There God? It's Me Margaret was, despite being about a child protagonist, I thought there was something very mature in the way that that movie was made very nice, very that nice. made me really crushed when it didn't do better at the box office mm -hmm. so, so do you want to see more of these 
Yes, I want to see more. Yes, I want to see more Poirot mysteries. I want to see more grown-up movies. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see more. I want to see more period atmosphere. I, I I want I want period pieces to come back. Well, we've got we've got a couple more on the schedule this year, so I think you're going to get your wishes. Please be good. Please be good. And speaking of William Defoe, I saw a trailer for uh, Poor Things before this movie, and man, does that look interesting! I really wanted to see that one. Mike, what about you? What uh, uh, did did you do? You approve of this one, and do you want to see more? Yes, and yes, of course. Um, I definitely want to. I've read probably close to 20 of the different Perot books. And there's so many great tales to tell still. You know, I don't want to keep on seeing, you know, the same ones over and over and over again. You know, you know, because we've this is what we've seen three versions of Death on a Nile, four at versions, at least, exactly. Four versions of, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. at least. And, you know, and so I would love to do it. And if Kenneth wants to, here, take my money, you know, basically. <laughs> you know, you, you know the sixty million? That's a, you know, it's it's cheap, sixty million. Well we we'll use our Patreon money. So it'll be yeah, good. We're gonna need a couple more <laughs> That's we're right. need well, a couple more patrons for that. Sponsored yeah. by the ESO. <laughs> Agatha Christie has so many great detectives, and Perot is just not the only one. There's so many out there that she worked on. And let's see more of them up there. And if yeah, Kenneth I, wants to direct them, by all means, I think that would be amazing. I think I think the thought was that since Knives Out was so successful, I think that all Hollywood was like, "Ooh, the murder mystery films are back. Let's do them," and and that's what gave Brana uh, sort of a green light to bring back Perot. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out quite the way that they wanted. So I don't know how, the likelihood of we'll see him. But I mean, we have got a lot of Christie adaptations recently uh, on streaming, so I, I do imagine those will continue. But um, uh, I do want—I did like this as well. I, I, as I said, I think it's been a while since I've seen *Murder on the Orient Express*, but I, I don't—I'm pretty comfortable saying this is the best one of the three. Uh, but I look forward to seeing this one again. I hope they do stream it around Halloween because that would be awesome to watch around then at that time too. And yes, I want to see more. I'm always wanting to see more Agatha Christie and on the big screen. And, you know, they took such license with this story that it would be really foolish for me to say, Hey, they should do this one because they'll probably just change the heck out of it anyway. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, just, just more of this. I don't want to see a repeat of this per se. I don't want to see another spooky mm -hmm. atmospheric, you know, uh, version, but I would like to, or story by them, but I would like to see, uh, you know, this particular way that uh, Hercule was portrayed by Brana to continue. Like, it's not all about him Let's make it more about the mystery and the other characters. And then that's, that's the formula that, that works for me. So, all right. So we have one now. Rumor, Mr. Mike, I did hear that? one rumor though. What's that? that? I heard Earth Station Who was going to be reviewing a Doctor Who episode talking about Agatha Christie soon. We will. And you know, what's interesting is that the woman, the actress that plays Agatha Christie in that story is, is actually in the, the David Sachet version of the Halloween party. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Full circle. Let's see it. 
so uh so that's a that's a nice tie-in right there so uh good call there mike um and uh on that note we will be right back and close out the show those fingers in my hair that sly come hither stare that strips my conscience bare it's witchcraft Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about fun horror movies that you should be checking out that are not mainstream, major film studio-made horror films. So, it's spooky season, and you're looking for some fun, non-major Hollywood horror films to watch, but are not really sure where to look. There are some great streaming services that have indie films, foreign horror films, whatever you could really want to see. If you're looking for indie horror films, Amazon Prime has a whole bunch of them. You just have to do a little research and find movies like the Plan 9 remake, as well as other great horror films. I just mentioned Plan 9 because I'm in it, and I know it's up on Amazon Prime. However, if you want indie films and great foreign horror films, Shudder is really your go-to. They have so much horror from the 70s and stuff that you really can only find on their streaming platforms, because truthfully... I had no idea some of these classic Japanese horror movies even existed still that they've recently put up. They also have a lot of great European, South American, and Indigenous American horror films as well. And many were made independently and are very, very fun to watch. They have the regular horror films that everyone knows as well, but it's always fun to discover new stuff and check out what else is out there. And with it being fall, even if it doesn't feel like it outside, Many people are looking to start their scary movie screenings. I know I have, but I watch horror films all year long because it's one of my favorite genres. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. It was the year of fire. The year of destruction. The year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth. The year of great sadness. The year of pain. And the year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. The podcast is the Epsilon 3. Right here on the ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Kelly, you made it through your first episode. Thank you. I want to be back. No, you will be back. I promise you that. Thank you so, so much. How, again, can people find you? Is, do you want to shout out or anything? Okay. Um, lowercase, um, lowercase Nan Monroe author dot com i believe i have i imagine me not knowing my own url so happens to me every day so it's okay no um i i do have i i do have a blog um under the name nan monroe because i've written a couple of novels under that name so so um let's see nan monroe author dot 
com, I believe is, is where you can find it. Um, also, if you go to the YouTube page of the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, you can find a lot of recordings of some plays that some of them I'm in, others I've written. But just in general, the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, we do, we do great work. And we have done some adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm, so, oh, um, all right. So check, so check us out, ARTC on YouTube. Fantastic. And Ashley, thank you as always. Thank you. It's always a pleasure going to the movies with you guys. We're not going to see you now for a little bit. I know, just because some movies have been moving to next year, including that one that I won't name here. But <laughs> no, no. Plus, she's, plus, she's not. she's too afraid to join us for our spooky month. I know, I know. I'm I'm getting there like slowly, like each little bit, like I've got like Jordan Peele's got me in, like if he does a movie, I'll see it. So I'm just like gradually, slowly wading into those waters. So like in five years, I'll be all in for the spooky month stuff. Well, nice. no matter how many guests we end up getting, if you still want to join us for the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, you're welcome to join us. If I ha if I find a little spark of bravery somewhere deep inside myself, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> He's gonna quote probably Jordan Peele and go, Nope. Yep, nope, nope. <laughs> I see I like that movie knows what it's about. So <laughs> anything you want to shout out about. Yeah, well, um, speaking of uh, Michelle Yeoh, I have been really enjoying her. I've been going back through uh Star Trek uh Discovery. And kind of rediscovering that I am feeling the absence of Strange New Worlds and Captain Pike in my life. So when I heard that he and Spock were on Star Trek Discovery, I went to check that out. So I've been really enjoying going back through it. And of course, Michelle Yeoh steals the show and she's wonderful in that. So um, Giorgio. she is so awesome. She's wonderful. And so, yeah, just another fun reminder that there's so much new stuff coming out, but it's always fun to go back if there's something that you've missed. Um, great stories are great stories whenever you get around to watching them. So I'm, I'm really enjoying my, uh, my journey through Star Trek lately and plan to keep going. That's awesome. Very awesome. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yes, uh, my good friend, artist extraordinaire Robert Jimenez has a new book coming out. Uh, it's called, and card set actually, trading card set. It's called Polynesian Pulp, the Tiki Art of Robert Jimenez. Robert was very uh, gracious enough to provide us with a cover for Tiki Zombie number three. And Earth Tales of uh, the Station, Earth Station 1, Tales of the Station, Volume 3 as well. He's a great artist. Uh, he's done other work for me as well. And uh, I have the honor of actually writing the introduction for this book. So uh, I'm I'm very uh, proud of that. Uh, very honored to do so. This is uh, some of the best work. Some of the work that I, I originally, because of my interest in tiki art, uh, this was the first art of his I've seen. Uh, I, I I was introduced to, and it's just gorgeous. Um, it's just really a specialty of his, very atmospheric. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It is available on Kickstarter now. If you want to take advantage of the Kickstarter campaign, you've only got a little over, if you're listening to this, you've only got a little bit about a, about a week, a little over a week as we're recording this. So uh, get on this, take advantage of it, and check it out. That is awesome. Okay, my shout out. Just go show sometimes, you know, we have too much free time on our hands. 
Judy and I lately have been. You do not. Trust yeah. me, you do not. You are one of the. You are one of the most schedule heavy persons I know. You do not have too much free time on we your. We do hands. have free time because you know what we've been doing lately. We've been sitting around having dinner and watching YouTube, and we've been watching old episodes of The Price Is Right. That's, <laughs> That's right. In honor of Bob Barker's passing, we have been going back and watching old episodes. Uh, we actually got to watch the very first episode of The Price is Right. Oh, that's cool. And back when it was the 30-minute version of The Price is Right. And it was the the very first episode. They called the, the people's names and said, Bob Johnson, please stand up. Nancy Sutherland, please stand up. And then they got to the four people. And you're the next contestants on The Price is Right. Come on down. You know, and then they got up and everything. And it was just neat to see how the shows evolved and everything. The one thing that freaked the living crap out of me, because this is 1972, somebody was able to guess the price of a new car. It was $2,500 for <laughs> a brand new car. And it was just like, oh, my God, I, I could afford that out of my pocket right and now that's know? like one tank of gas these days yeah, exactly in some places <laughs> yeah especially if you're out in california yeah. it is so it's it's just it was just crazy and it was fun and the fashions and the the clothes and the items that were you know at the grocery stores and everything you won this brand new modern fireplace it was one of those like angled metal fireplaces <laughs> that you know and everything i was just like I think I saw that at my grandparents' house or something, you know? So it, it's just fun to do. And if you have free time to be able to do something like that, please watch The Price is Right or old game shows. Those are just a ton of fun to be able to do it. And but there's not, none better than Bob Barker. Bob Barker was just the most classiest and fun guy out there. So definitely check it out. All right, folks, that is going to wrap up the episode. We want to thank everyone for joining us with another movie review. We always have fun with these kind of things. And it's great having Ashley. And, you know, Kelly, you were awesome, too, for your first time. Very, very cool. As always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. Remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our Tee Public store and get some really cool ESO Network swag. Also, please remember, if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, why not join the ESO Network Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support us here at Earth Station One. Check out the ESO Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. We also want to hear from you guys. Please write us anytime at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you. It's the, one of the best ways to get, you know, feedback or, you know, say, hey, Mike, why not talk about this? It gives us ideas, what you guys want to hear also. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earth Station One can be found up on Pandora and SM, yeah, XM Radio. Tongue twister there, folks. You can find us up there and also, of course, up on YouTube. And if you've listened to us this long, and we do appreciate you listening and watching us, why not like and subscribe? You've you know put in the legwork. Why not see more of us? Because you know you love these smiling faces. On behalf of myself, of course, Mr. Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, yeah. Ms. Kelly Sacato, and of course, Ms. Ashley Pauls. Can't mess that one up, ever. <laughs> she would come out and hot me. Oh, I don't know. 
she would throw me off the off the ledge in the Venice building. You I know, would the, I would never do that. Uh-huh, sure, she wouldn't. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We will see you all next time here on Earth Station One. Peace, and we are done. Ciao, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.